Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. April is National Poetry Month, and so today I want to offer you part one of two programs that I've created from a poetry open mic that I hosted here in Joshua Tree recently. The title of the open mic and the theme for the evening was Revelations from the Edge, Lessons and Gifts from the Mojave Desert. Now, I say a little bit at the beginning of this program about the significance of that theme for me. It is something that I feel very strongly about, namely the significance of the desert. For people who love the desert and live here like myself, but also for human beings everywhere. Now, there's a very close relationship between myth and poetry. And so every year I have programs like this because I also believe very deeply in the importance of a poetic sensibility today. So sit back and relax, and I think you're really going to enjoy the offerings of the poets who participated in this evening. And maybe what you hear here will inspire you to search out some other poets, or even try your hand at writing a little poetry too. Now, on with Revelations from the Edge, Lessons and Gifts from the Mojave Desert. Welcome to Revelations from the Edge, Discoveries, Lessons, and Gifts from the Mojave Desert. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's probably already obvious what we're going to do this evening. It's an open mic, so if you've signed up, then you'll get an opportunity to read what you've brought. It doesn't have to be original, but I have a feeling looking around the room here that most of it will be. But before we do that, I wanted to say a couple of words about the theme what revelations from the edge, you know, why, why that came to my mind, what that means to me. And it's a sort of a big topic. So I've actually been going back and forth and back and forth all afternoon and uh, looking for a starting place. So let me just say that people often say that, that human beings are storytelling animals, you know, that that's one of the things that we do. Now, whether or not we're the only animals that tell stories, I don't know. Our propensity for claiming to be the only animals that do certain things is part of our, our, our hubris, and it sure seems like the house finches that have come back around our house are telling stories to each other about where they spent the winter. But one of the things that we forget, in addition to this ongoing storytelling habit, need, is our primary source of material, which is the earth itself. Being in a body on the earth We really couldn't have a thought. We really couldn't be conscious of anything if we weren't first referencing the earth and the experience of being here. And yet, somehow, we have managed to convince ourselves that there's such a thing as an environmentalist who is a person who cares about the earth as opposed to everyone else, and that's a special interest. So our disconnect has gotten pretty deep, maybe not in all of us as individuals, but definitely as a culture. We're putting our source of life and our primary reference point for absolutely every idea and creation we've ever had on the list of optional things. The desert itself, I think, plays an important 
role in that conversation and presents an opportunity for um, examining and maybe even repairing that disconnect. Because the desert is an, an archetypal landscape. You know, it's one that is so extreme that it's generated particular ideas and given people particular experiences throughout recorded history. Uh, some of the ideas that I'm sure you would recognize as products of um, consciousness conditioned by mainstream Western American culture is that the desert is a wasteland and there's nothing out here, but maybe if we look hard enough, we can find something that we can make it useful and productive and make money off of it. And then there's the idea that this is a frontier, the wide open place where anything goes. You can make anything, do anything, be anything, reinvent yourself, fill it up any way you want. It's a blank slate. And that's where that edge comes in, in the title. You know, the idea that it's, uh, it's the cutting edge of something. And it's literally, physically, the edge of something, the edge of civilization, quote unquote. For the mystics, though, <laughs> the desert was a place of revelation. And the desert is the traditional geography of revelation. And that's what really interests me how it is that you can be in a place like this that seems so empty and isn't and is so big and so elemental and use it, find it as a, as a place that reflects back to you who you are, that by its size makes your problems and your life relatively small and how odd it is that that's a comfort <laughs> a lot of the time. So revelations Revelations are things that people have had for centuries in deserts all around the world, um, and I've certainly had my share of them here. And I think that right now, more than ever, we need a place where we can have that experience. Because in having that experience of smallness or silence or just having to confront who you are, what you are, you can connect back into that larger source, whether you want to call it God or planet Earth or whatever. So that is what Revelations from the Edge means for me. Now, whether or not we're going to hear any of that in the poetry, who knows? The desert is a place of surprises and poets being poets. I have no idea what any of you are going to say. So don't feel compelled now to like rifle through your notes and go, oh my God, now I need a, like a real, I need a burning bush somewhere in there. Whatever you brought is going to be great. And thank you very much for being here. So let me get the board and we'll start. Our first poet was Dave Marash. Desert poem number one, Confidence. Fog. The early morning cold air places layers of fog along my trail. The quiet crust I walk on is a rare thing and I stop and I smell certainty. Damp questions donate a careful song and I'm sure of the wizardry of the desert of how it lures moisture to its hiding places, of how it teaches mammals like me, of how it wants my boots on its silent spaces, and remember when, in future fog days, where I was, who I was, and how the sun tried to tease the morning from my skin but could not win. Next is Jillian Spedding. Right. I'm a city girl, and I fell in love with the desert about six years ago, and I've never looked back. 
I love it. It's my place of solace, comfort. Um, it's where I came the day of the election. It's where I came the day after the election. <laughs> we live down in the low desert, so it's, um, it's fabulous. I fell in love with Edward Abbey, and then I tr- betrayed him by having an affair with Craig Childs. So what can I say? Slut. Okay. Uh, Joshua Tree. Stony nights from ages past, frozen in time, stand sentinel, guarding her secrets, waiting for the sun to unfurl his flag of red and gold, waiting for the wind to begin its song as it wails through rugged peaks, whispers in the ear of coyote and sings in the spines of thorny trees. Waiting for the Milky Way to unfold her mystery over the dark desert sky. Waiting for the moon to cast her milky glow on centipedes gliding across the cool desert floor. Or waiting for a time, maybe, when the earth shifts again and seeing the world with eyes closed unleashes her fury on holy beings who don't hear her prayers for mercy and compassion. And when the wait is over and the facade has crumbled, maybe it will be in the silence and solitude of the desert that peace is finally found. Thank you. Anita Harmon. I'm Anita. I'm also from the Low Desert. I moved here 10 years ago from London. And I wrote this um, when I did a poetry class in Joshua Tree itself. And I think it was the first time I actually went and sat down in Joshua Tree. I mean, it's not that I hadn't been there before and sat for a short time and walked it, but I'd never really sat down in it. So this was the result. Between the rocks at Joshua Tree. Can you all hear me? Good. For some reason, I think of Egypt. The wind there, they say, is the sound the dead make as they flow between the stone hills out of the Sahara. Pharaohs, scribes, farmers, the diggers of wells, tall fathers shouting across the fields, mothers singing. This voice then, the only familiar, whistles itself up, then dies away. The buzz of a fly, bore of a plane, cry of a bird. The dead trail behind each one of us, and they have followed me here, stacked high in the strata of rock, gusted in piles of boulders, whispering in the pignon. Without these impediments, the dead could have no voice. Like wind, they must have their instruments to claim our attention, their right to haunt our movement to quiet places. Nancy Campbell. I'm a pilgrim of erosion, drawn to all that falls away. We breathe burnt heat, lays lunch high among coarse skin boulder, and watch wild packs of granite below. 
not a Joshua's most spiked of lilies, bend off their burden to that distant curve, final bow of earth. Here, raven haunt the tortoise, the lone scrub jay on a hollow branch, a pinyon pine leans from ice age rock, adamant as a two-year-old pulling from mother or you from me. Thank you. Next, we have Rich Seuss, who is also the editor of the poetry journal, Choya Needles. I'd like to uh, start by inviting any, anybody that doesn't know Choya Needles yet to please take a flyer in the back and send some poetry to us because, man, I heard some great stuff tonight. Um, I've been coming up here since 1974 every summer, and this is my first full year here. I moved here in the 1st of January, and we bought a house here, so we're here forever. And this is a collection of, of different poems I've written over the years, and it's fascinating because this is <clears throat> 30, 40 years of work, but they flow together. So it fascinates me anyway. <laughs> Desert Walk, Daybreak. The cactus calls shadows for rodents to hide from flames on the horizon. A silent blaze quieting intrinsic voices and ghosts. Believe. The warm azure daylight glistens in the desert sand, <coughs> engraving pleasures. Noon. So I've been walking for three hours now. <laughs> the cactus button prays knowledge of life for life and lives rodent sweat. Humming, a tune that feels relevant as I daydream of the desert, the sun a torch, the hot air washes my dry throat, and my instrument loses the memory of the tune. Purified, I became desert, befriended by holy rocks, shielded by shielding, I'm sorry, I became desert, Befriended by holy rocks, shielding the harsh sun. Three hours later, twilight. A fire, the sun signals blood to darken the skies, painting red the time-space between day-night. Painting the edge of sunset with reds and oranges, recalling a dream reflected in the mirror, Drowning tears of poetry written by crickets waiting for darkness. Sky. Voices from the void sing the spirit of the world passing through death's gate. Epilogue. The desert does not sing praise after I recite my song over its sacred sand. Anguish approaches in coyote form tonight howling freedom songs. I dance with dead midnight spirits. Steve Braff. Live part-time in Palm Springs and have come up to Joshua Tree several times and always deeply moved by the flora and fauna and people and the whole vibe. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun 
to create poetry inspired by images of Joshua Tree. And then I thought, wouldn't it be funner if those images weren't my own? So I'm new to the social media world, learning it. Um, my daughter's a great help. And I learned how to go on Instagram and create a feed by selecting hashtags and getting, you know, hashtag Joshua T, hashtag Yucca, hashtag this, that. And, and getting this feed of images each morning as I would listen to those birds sing. Um, so I set about a discipline, a, 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 a poetic discipline of each morning I'm going to go through my feed, it was generally about 40 images, and find the one that grabs. What's the image that captures? And then just sit with that image for about five minutes until I could close my eyes and there was the image. And then from there, write. And so these are just selected four very short poems selected from five of those images from that process. So it's ekphrastic poetry, poetry inspired by image, where the image is the jumping point for the words that follow. So starting with the, the uh, Choya Needles. Desert sunrise gifts gold halos to silvered spines. Teddy bear choya hedgerow lines. Bearing needles, some say, jump. Behind mountains, purpled silhouettes. On back still sleep, lay low their own horizon. So the, the next image just knocked me over. This curious image of Roy's. Does anyone know where Roy's is? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But I look at this picture and I go, dang, what's that about? <laughs> so, plaster white horse stuck, rearing at Roy's to his audience of none upon benches bleached to splinter brown in desert sun, gather round the truncated trees, pathetic thee. One more job undone, and all awash with unsympathetic light. In desolation, yet together still, yet together still somehow calls so strained a sympathy for what we've wrought. <coughs> Gnarled fingers on the left leaning arms of the front in line for battle stretched thin in vanishing points past. The ominous clouds to angry gods call sharp echoes, crossed blades, and battles won in the slow, hot march of the Mormons' past flight for freedom, so named the jagged and spiked of shadeless tree, Joshua. A sun-stroked skeletal webwork of desert's heather once green gone gold, now fades from tan into this brittle lace of white-hold grace, a sacrament 
in rough, round mass to defiant life lived. A pointed, intricate, exuberant rush from coral blue to go a tumbly in windy rifts roll up and out. And, and the last image just blew me away. I just, <laughs> like, like, like only, only in Joshua Tree, you know? Only, you can't see it, but the little sign on the porta potty says MCS-1194. You'll have to trust me on that. MCS-1194 called in missing from the desert floor. Box on box on lot aspires for something's more. Blue skies, baby's got blue skies. George Howell. Hi there, my name's George Howell, and uh, I live in Wonder Valley. And one of the things that um, I really love about being out there is, uh, you know, watching watching the mountains change at night. Uh, the light goes from red to blue along the mountains. And uh, I always think of uh, the mountains kind of remind me of the paintings of Leonardo da Vinci when they get that blue, you know, that really, really distant blue. So um, I wrote this in Italian, because I really like working in, in other languages. I won't read the Italian, but uh, this was called Le Montagne de Leonardo, the, the Leonardo Mountains. I was always a child of the city. I always loved the crowded sidewalks, the old museums, and the refined culture. In the midst of the noise of the city, I accepted the silence between the people around me as a price for a life of the mind. But the cost of life amongst the skyscrapers and the run-down apartments was beyond my reach. And now I find myself before the brown mountains and the tough green shrubs at a distance from the sidewalks and those cool faces. Perhaps I truly find myself now in the midst of the mind's silence. But each time I face the mountains, angular and sharp and blue in the distance, I remember the canvases of Leonardo. And in my mind, culture is still alive and worth the pain of exile from the distant city. You know, I really, I really love being being in the city, and I love being out here. And it's kind of like, well, I guess you can have both worlds, right? Uh, so th- this this one, um, it's when I wrote in Spanish uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've been spending a lot of time in the Tijuana area. I've met a couple of Spanish language poets. So I, somebody wrote something. I read it one morning, just as I was getting up. And it was all about the rain, because there had been really heavy rains there. And he wrote this kind of, you know, sad poem about discon- disconnection and lack of communication set in this rainstorm, you know. 
So I woke up and I looked out the window. I got boom, this blast of sunlight in my eyes, you know. And I thought, how can I write a depressing poem about <laughs> bursting sun in your eyes? <laughs> so this one is called uh, Pajaros Callados. And I'll read the Spanish and then, you know, then, then I'll read the translation. Tus palabras amargas me retan cada día. Por la mañana en la cama solitaria, los rayos del, del sol vuelan a lo largo de las pared, paredes como párajos, párajos de oro, pájaros sin voz. No encuentro mis palabras, las palabras que se escapan como pájaros callados. El cuarto brilla con la luz del sol. La, ca la cama espera en la sombra, sin hablar. Tus palabras amargas me retan cada día. El rayo de sol se posa en la mano como pájaro. Espero un momento largo y después se va. Las palabras se escapan como pájaros callados. En la cama, en la sombra, solitario. Quiet birds. Your bitter words challenge me every day. In the morning, in the lonely bed, the rays of the sun fly along the walls like golden birds, silent birds. I cannot find my words, the words that escape like quiet birds. The room shines with the light of the sun, the bed waits in the shade, speechless. Your bitter words challenge me every day. The sunbeam perches in my hand like a bird, waits a long moment, and then is gone. The words escape like quiet birds in the bed, in the shadow, solitary. Okay, thank you. Philip Rosenberg. This poem is called Res Resolve. The Mojave wind can be seen in her cheeks, the coyote howl heard in her voice, the unrelenting August reflected in her eyes. She knows that here every unlikely genomic twist finds a way to unique itself into existence, stake out its minuscule territory beneath the merciless sun, and she will not be denied. The smart ones burrow deep, dulling their nails on the decomposed granite. Eventually, all accounts are brought current, the marrow consumed, the bones bleached, and the love dispersed. She knows that what was lost sometimes returns, the walking stick left leaning against the boulder, the old wisdom. What will not return is her old life. No, she would die here among the lizards and the snakes and offer up her flesh to the dark-winged raven before going back. She knows she can fail. She knows hope beckons, tempts, and abandons. She believes when her lips are beyond parched and her canteen and her will long-drained, a sign will be sent, a comet from Perseus, perhaps, or a lumbering desert tortoise at her door, a soft spot into which to burrow will appear. It will be just enough 
to encourage for one more day or one more hour her beautiful, improbable enterprise. This has been part one of two programs taken from a poetry open mic on the theme of Revelations from the Edge, Lessons and Gifts from the Mojave Desert. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, I hope you'll consider joining the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the Myth in the Mojave programs that are archived there, as well as free downloads of everything new that I create. And you will be playing an essential role in helping me make future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time for part two of Revelations from the Edge, Lessons and Gifts from the Mojave Desert. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. (laughs) 